Welcome to the Chris Wolf Podcast on iCode Media. Today I had a discussion with Tracy Peterson, who is the Director of Network Development for Vision Source in basically the central region. She covers Nebraska and South Dakota and um, I believe Missouri and, and a few other states. And what she really does is she talks to, to uh, doctors who aren't in Vision Source but who are thinking about becoming Vision Source members about what Vision Source can do for their practice. So we had a conversation about that and um, I enjoyed it and I uh, hope you do as well. And as always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, give us a five-star review. Do you, um, when you think about like, um, when you go into doctor's offices and your, um, you know, you're talking about vision source. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that process, and tell me about um, like how how you how do you sell vision source? Like what when, when you think about selling vision source, I think of all the benefits of like the camaraderie and the networking and the idea sharing and how we grow that way. But what do you think of in like um, in terms of like what are the the most common things that you're looking for when you say this this patient this doctor is going to be a good vision source practice or it's not really worth you know, they're probably not going to be. I think first is just sitting down and learning more about their practice. So you've got to find out like what's working in their practice right now, what they, where they've had the most success and what areas um, that's, you know, brought them to their, you know, growth um, as a practice. But then I think you're looking for areas that they need um, additional help or assistance. Opportunities is what you're looking at. Um, For some, it's a staffing. Some, it's um, just organization and, you know, systems. They have no systems in tech. Some don't even review their numbers. Um, It's all across the board. Yeah. You see it all. Yeah, so, like, um, is there, like, a most common theme that you see? Like, Like, one of the things that keeps coming up on the podcast is that, People are really worried about private equity and they're really worried about what they're going to do in their practice longevity. But you get to see sort of a different side of that than I get to see. Like I, um, I see, you know, most of the people that are sort of already established in practice or new practitioners that are sort of flirting with the idea of opening a practice. But um, when you have conversations about those topics, what are, what are the concerns that specifically that doctors have about that? Well, I'd say first off, there's, there is a fair amount of doctors out there that maybe haven't, they feel unprepared, Hmm. right? So now, you know, they've gotten into their 50s and they don't have an action plan. They've built up this this practice. They're very proud of the practice that they've they've created and they should be. Yes, exactly. Um, And they want to hand it down to somebody who is going to carry their legacy on. They want that secession plan. Um, And for a lot of them, they just don't either, they haven't started reaching out to find that associate that they can, you know, bring up and, and create or evolve the same beliefs that they've, yeah they've brought into the practice. Do you think that's because they're looking too late or they don't think they can bring on an associate for any period of time? They're, are they looking just to be out or is it because they think I can't afford an associate when, when there's that limitation? There's a combination of both. Um, I think some doctors, they get to that point where I'm, I'm happy. Mm. I'm enough is enough. You yeah. know, they feel like they're complete. Um, I think I find this a lot of times, like even, you know, you've got a female doctor who's really like, example we talked about last night um she's 
really successful right out of the gates. She's created a very profitable office, but what she doesn't realize is if she was able to bring in Vision Source and we were able to complement her, we're able to bring her the efficiency of the new systems and the tools. And, and we've got all these programs that can help her maybe buy back some of her own personal time. Yeah. So she's not having to throw all of her time and energy into the practice and that, you know, somebody else, she can delegate a lot of that stuff to, um, yeah. you know, the, the associate that she's able to bring into, yeah. into practice. Yeah. I think it's interesting. I was talking to, um, a guy here at this meeting that, um, super sharp guy. I mean, he knows his stuff clinically and, um, and he, he told me afterwards, I'm trying to get him on the podcast, but he's, he said he's kind of a nervous guy, but he wasn't, he's not nervous in a one-on-one -on -one conversation yeah. like this. Yeah. So he, he's worried he'd kind of clamor up on the, on the mic, but he's not a vision source doc, but he, you know, he said, I, I, I moved in and I'm doing hospital get based optometry. We've got, you know, we see in their, uh, clinic between all their specialists, it's 300 patients that come through the door a day. And, um, but he, you know, the comment that he made to me is I just, I just didn't like private practice. I didn't like running the business. I didn't like doing all those other things. And so the, the first thing I wondered, and we didn't get into it to it, but I wondered, well, if you had better systems in place, could you enjoy it? Or, or is it just best that some people just aren't built for, for private practice and they are, they don't want to have the hassle of managing the business, managing the people, you know, thinking about cost of goods, all those sorts of things. And so, um, so I think there's that, that standpoint of, of, I think if you really don't want it to be in private practice, then there's other opportunities and you right. should, you should do those things. What I worry about is in, from a private practice standpoint. And, and when I think about private equity and, and all these other things and, and what it potentially could do for the, to the profession over time is I don't want to see people like you were describing last night with the, um, with the doc who, now she wants to spend a little bit more time with her kids mm -hmm. and you know there's probably a short period of time where that's sustainable but in the long period of time does that just mean that she's built this wonderful practice and she just decided i, I don't want it anymore because there there aren't systems in place to um to be that to be efficient and still be able to spend time with your kids so talk to me about like if if it were going to be the case that vision source could help out with some of those systems specifically what sort of systems and you don't have to mention her by name but what would she have benefited from in terms of giving her more time do you think oh um i mean definitely from the staff support too i mean I, you always hear that like it's the hiring process and like when do i add another optician or when mm -hmm. do i add another you know support or or how do i you know, what do I do when I do hire somebody? I have no onboarding program in place at all, which, you know, thanks to our VS learning programs and, and all of that that's in, in place for our doctors, they have the resources and tools just to say, you know what, we know what your first 90 days are going to look like. Here it is. Yeah. It's outlined. Here's the workbook to support you. And here's the online videos. And, and just to be able to guide them to know what that's going to look like, that, that takes out, you know, a lot of the pressure from yeah. these docs. And they're going to know within, you know, three weeks or 21 days if this is going to be a fit or if it's not. Yeah, um, so with, with, with like our VS staff. learning yes, new, staff, new staff, new staff, yeah, yeah on the new staff yeah. training. Is that yeah. a, is that a large um, is that a large thing immediately that people think 
right away like this staffing is just a big headache yes yeah, yeah. that's probably the number one thing that you, when you sit down and and i talk to doctors um that's an area it completely lights up i mean mm -hmm. you can see it as we're sitting there having a conversation their eyes just light up when you start talking about the programs that we have and i've shown them the workbook that we have and they just light up and they're excited like wow you guys you know you have this in place i'm like yep. yeah this is just one of the resources that we have yeah i mean really really efficient offices may have had those things yeah. but you know if you're if you're hiring uh, to replace somebody often it, it can be the case that you just want you just want somebody and then you're throwing them into the thick of it right away mm -hmm. if you didn't hire strategically or you don't have enough to weather a storm whether you know if somebody leaves your practice then you have enough people to still be comfortable mm -hmm. um, I, I certainly don't advocate for having too many staff I've talked to, to people sometimes and it's like holy cow you have that many staff for for what you're what you're doing um, but uh, but I, I definitely think you need to have a staff where if somebody's sick or gone, you can weather that storm. So there's that balance. The real challenge is if you're always operating with minimal staffing because you're worried about X, Y, and Z, then when you try to bring somebody back in, you're just throwing them into the system with, without, without a real clear plan. So that's one of the things you're talking about is having a real clear plan to be able to get those people up to speed with the base knowledge that you're requiring. Do you think that... Um, and that helps you kind of launch off into being able to plug new people in. What do you see, like if you think about when people are waiting to hire, what do you think about um, about that specific period of time about knowing when to hire somebody new? Have you, do you have any insight on, on how you can know whether it's time to hire a new person to add to your, your staff? I think that's one area that the doctors, um, they're looking to be part of a network so that they can find out what, what are the other offices doing? What are other doctors doing? I mean, and it's interesting how often it gets asked, well, what do you hear? Yeah. You know, and I think even going back to like rep days, they ask the reps a lot of that. They want to know what everybody yeah, else is right. doing. And there wants to be that, that <laughs> comfort of knowing that, yes, you know, yes. yeah, there's status quo. And I think being part of our network, it makes it so, it, it makes it much easier knowing that you're going to, you're going to be going to a meeting, you're going to be sitting round table discussions and you're going to now have a resource for you. Yep. Not only for the doctors, but I think the staff through the VSR program and all of that. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, um, it's, it, it, it is interesting. I've gone to a couple meetings now where, and I, and, um, it, you know, last night we were at we were at a, a big dinner and um, and we saw you know a non-vision source doctor presenting to the vision source doctors, and I've I've been at those meetings a couple times before and people who are don't understand vision source they think it's just a buying group, they uh, the perception is like after they go to those meetings if they actually sit in there and listen to some of the conversations that people have, it's like well you guys are talking about something that's totally different than we talk about at our state association meetings. And it is hard. Like I asked Aaron this question, um, when he was on, I, I said, how do you, how do you describe vision source to somebody that isn't a vision source member? And he said, well, it was like trying to describe chocolate to somebody who hasn't eaten chocolate yet. I mean, you can talk about the programs, you can talk about these other things, but the reality is, is very few. I mean, it, it, you can do it. Can you do it outside of vision source? You can like, like, could you sit down with a group of people on a regular basis and say, you know, how do you, that are in your region and your low and that understand the patient populations, et cetera, mm -hmm. and, the, and the insurance, you know, all that kind of stuff. You could do that, but it's, it's very difficult to be able to sit down with somebody that could be right down the street and you could view them as a competitor, a competitor, and then talk about like, this is, 
this is what how we determine our staff pay and this is what we pay staff this is our compensation package and without really like seeing that in place i've had a number of pe- people in those types of dinners that sit and listen he didn't last night but that sit and listen and um and they're like i didn't realize that's this is a different conversation and so uh i think that's um that's super helpful yeah. and uh, it, it, it makes it so that you can ha- ask that like, okay, well, I've got 10 staff and we're doing this much in business. Is that the right amount? What do you think about that? And then you can say, well, we're doing this much in business. So we've got this much staff. And, um, and then you can also bounce that off of like MBA metrics that show you that per staff member, you're gener- on average, they're generating this much money, et cetera. And so, um, so I think that's, that's really helpful. When you think about, um, like, do you talk much about that when you're meeting with doctors or you're mainly just trying to acquire, like acquire information on where their, their struggles are, their pain points are? You're acquiring that. I mean, I think you've got, you've got doctors that are, are looking at different levels, but, but I think once you find out where maybe those opportunities where we could help them is at, I think then you leverage and you bounce always, it somehow always bounces back to the networking. Yeah. Um, it's, it's sharing ideas. And I think one of the reasons a lot of doctors are hesitant on it is they're like, well, that's, that's my competition. They're down the yes, street. And, yes. and Do I, you really get that often? Oh, still? you would be surprised. Yeah. It doesn't surprise me, but I just, yeah. I, I mean, I, I am, I'm, doesn't surprise me, but I'm surprised. Yeah. Right. And I always say, you know, it's, it's not the doctor down the street, the other independent optometrist right. down the street, you know, it's, it's everybody else that really you're, you're combating against online. You're, I mean, there's so many other disruptors in the industry right now. Um, um, that really aligning yourself up with other independent optometrists, they're trying to accomplish the same things that yeah. you are. And there, there's enough business out there. It's just you're going to attract different patient base than maybe the, the doctor down the street. But at the same time, you're running the office almost the exact same, yeah. you know, same principles, same yeah. business, you know, philosophy, all of that. Your struggles are going to be the same. And I think that's the other thing is when they come and they go to the meetings and they realize, oh, yeah. You're, you're no different. You're, you're struggling with this. I struggled with this six months ago. This is what I did. Or you go to a meeting and you've got a member standing up telling you, you know what? I thought I could do this and this is what happened. And it's so raw and organic. I'm sharing his experiences, yep. the good or the bad that, um, I mean, it, it, there's nothing like it. Yeah. There's nothing like it. Yeah. I think there's something to be said from the, for the ability to, um, to develop a trust, you know, yeah. like it's not like you can get five guys together that are buddies that are in the same area. There's just this automatic like um, skepticism of somebody else's practice. Like yeah. what I mean by that is that, you know, if, if I sit down in a, at a statewide meeting and we're going to talk about clinical stuff, we'll talk about our families, we'll talk like peripherally about our practice and they may even get into more details with, with me about their specific practice because they're, um, because I'm not a, viewed as a competitor, but if, if, if we're talking like, like in, um, you know, in, a, in Nebraska, for example, and I'm talking to somebody who's not a vision source doc and we get into like, like how our practices are actually running. Um, I think we tend to thump our chests more and I, and I'm guilty of that as well. Like, I think, I think how's, how's your practice going? Oh, it's going great. Been really busy, you know, like, okay. And, uh, what struggles do you have? Ah, you know, things are going pretty good, you know? And and so like, so like there's this resistance to be really open and honest. And like, like I, I'd say to to you, I think our practice is doing great. 
But I think there's things that we can work on and improve upon. And, and, and I think in that realm of, of idea sharing and thought sharing, I'd love it to be the case that I could sit down with any optometrist and talk about that. But there's sort of a pride factor, and, and it takes a personal relationship to, to break down that pride factor for yourself. So you can actually be honest about like, are there things we can work on better because this guy's making this thing work yep. and I can't make it work. So it's not a problem with him, right? He's not an, an anomaly. It's our problem. Right. And I think that, um, that is something that I'm, I'm just trying to articulate why that happens more at vision source meetings than it could happen organically outside of it. But I think it's because you trust somebody else enough and you've been with them enough to know that what, what they say and that what they tell me is valid and I understand their practice and they're also being vulnerable. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like they're not perfect. And, yeah. um, and I think that, that, that's a lot. Do you think that, um, that when, you know, how do you think that breaks down when you talk to people, um, about vision source and they sort of start to, you see the wheels start turning. Um, what is that point for them? What, what are the kind of the struggles of, of like starting down that path of, of that, um, kind of mentorship or idea sharing? Well, there's a couple parts to that, but I would say it really is interesting when you're sitting down with a doctor and we start telling him maybe all the benefits of vision source. And I think, of course, you don't know what you don't know. So as they sit down, I always say, you know, just, just be open. Let's talk about the things that we do. And they don't realize all of the all of the right. programs that we have at hand. Um, and you can see the light bulb clicks on in the middle of the conversation, you know, you're hour into it and they're like, oh wow, I didn't realize you do this, you do that, you know. Um, when we bring up something that, you know, some issue that they're having in their office and they're like, well, you know, our vision op vision source offices would be able to do X, Y, Z. And you're, you're able to give them examples of different programs or like, you know, the optical dream and how they can, you know, it, it's a culture building as yeah. well. Um, so it's not just, giving them one solution to the right it's not a yeah. one size fits all it's not which a makes it more challenging all. when you're talking about it to people because you don't know what their size is what do you think if you had to say what your um what like the most what's the program that that you think is if you had to say like the the most convincing program if i'm not a vision source member and i have kind of the generic issues going on uh in my practice the the program that, that you think this is this is like so powerful that um, that if the docs understand it and if they ad admit that they could be benefited by it, like that you're like, this is it. I would say the VSR program. Hmm. And, it, and it's really interesting because um, being a rep and then when I was able to be more introduced from this side when I took this position, you see, you see the deeper look, right? And um, I don't think, I mean, there's no other organization out there doing it where we're actually sending our staff to do the same things that you're doing, just what we were just talking about, the networking, the sitting around on a round table, learning what needs to be done. Um, you know, it's one thing for you as the doctor to be able to deal with patient care and the medical side, the clinical side, and you guys can have discussions about that. But it's also nice to know that you're going to send a staff member to a meeting and they're going to resolve some of those issues that now you're not having to deal with, right? right? So, um, and I always use the example, my very first VSR meeting that I actually even attended or observed, you know, the, the 
uh, optician comes in and you know she was a little upset the doctor bought mm. a new piece of equipment uh. and oh, we got an OCT now now how are we gonna you know just stressed out because her job just now became more complex right so there's another instrument that she's got to bring into it and she's got to figure out how the patient flow is gonna work all of that and it was interesting because by the time that she left that issue was resolved I mean you had another optician from one, one of the other managers from the office said well did you think about you know this is what we do in our office this is the patient flow yep. and they gave them, um, you know, just suggestions. And then by the end, she was like, okay, well, I guess this really isn't that big of a deal now. Yeah. So it was able, she was able to resolve her issue just by that one meeting. Yeah. So now all of a sudden, you know, she leaves and doctor now doesn't have to deal with that. Now it's a positive thing. And I saw that, you know, probably from the equipment side, you know, you'd sell a piece of equipment. What did um, you sell? So I, I work for Walman. So I did all classical instrumentation and high tech instruments. Okay. When you, when you hear objections, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think it's for me or like, what, what are those common things that, that you hear people say? And then what do you say to those things? Um, I think the first one is it's, I'm not a fit. It's not for me. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to drink the Kool-Aid. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> um, but what I, I, for a lot of the docs, they think that there's all these changes that are going to happen. And you know, they think we're going to come in and tell them what vendors to use or what products they have to use or how to run their office. Um, and it's it's the completely the opposite. I mean, we've got a paragraph in the contract. I tell them that protects them. I mean, we're our ultimate goal is to protect independent optometry. It's your office. Um, sure, we're going to shine the flashlight on particular vendors that we've been able to work out, you know, extra um, special pricing on or different packages and stuff. But it's ultimately that doctor is still the decision maker of that practice. Yeah. yeah. Well, just like Amir and I talked about um, the, you know, the distance between the patient care that's being delivered and the doctor who's delivering it has to be infinitely small, right? That's yep. what is best for the patient. And, um, and so if those programs aren't going to, if a particular program isn't going to suit you, then, then fine. And I think that's the, we, we joke oftentimes about, the beauty of vision source is also the potential curse, right? We mm -hmm. have so many different things and every doctor can pick and choose what they decide to, to do um, because they vision source has no control over what you do as the independent practice. All they can do is say, here's a great program. If you want to implement it, implement it. And that's the foundation. It's the backbone really. Yep. Um, and, and so then there's the, the, um, the people uh, you know, that you just can't get out of your own way. Right. Like, well, it's, it's a fine program or like you were talking about, like you're already using all of these mm -hmm. things. You just put it all together as one. So, so if that's, so that's, um, how do you, when, like, what is the objective? So let's talk about that doc that, um, that you were talking about before. She wants more time with her kids. She's already using, uh, preferred vendors anyway in her practice. What's her objective objection at this point? She feels um, that she's just, you know, she's comfortable. Mm -hmm. She's comfortable with where she's at. Yep. Um, and I don't think she realizes the potential of how much larger she could even be. Um, and I think sometimes we'll sit down with really successful doctors and they don't realize. You just almost want to step back and say, if you look at Vision Source as a whole, you can walk in a room and there's, there's three times that the doctors that are doing even a multiple more of what you're doing right, right. now. And it, you surround yourself by that and it's only going to bring you up. Yeah. Um, and I think they get caught realizing that it's their own self barriers. Yeah. You know, it's, it, 
they only see that that's their potential, which all of us can say, well, you've done this in this short of a time. Just think, you bring in another associate, you now have more hours you know, at home that you could be with your family, and your practice can still run exactly with the culture that you've created. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's... Yeah, we've seen that multiple times where I think people are almost even too busy to even think about yeah. how would they become a vision source doctor. Yep. Like like you and I have, have met with um, with a doc that I have a ton of respect for and he's running a great practice. Yep. And and yet he's like he's like running around with his chicken with his head yep. head cut off, you know, like like it's it's uh, it feels like and he'll tell you this. It's like I'm just so busy, I'm doing this and this and this. And um, and it's almost like uh, they're they're busy for the sake of being busy when they could probably figure out ways to 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 be just as busy but be way more efficient with that time. Yep. You know, like how do you do this? Well, you do this because I've got time because we've set aside things because we've got good you know good things in place so that we have the time to do that. Right. Hit, hitting the pause button is what I always say, huh. Doc. Hit the pause button because when you hit the pause button you stop and you're breathing, right? Yeah. And, and you're able to look at things and say, okay, this is what I've done. Um, but you would be surprised on actually how many doctors are still out there that don't have weekly meetings with their staff yeah. and don't do the planning. The planning behind it all is just, it's, it's what, you know, it's, it starts everything. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of docs out there that, that aren't doing it. And, and even to get the meeting for us, um, and for our my team, oh, yeah. I mean that's that's the challenge is even getting the doctor to say, okay, just stop for thirty minutes. Let us tell you about what we have going on. Yeah. We can make your life easier, yeah. you know, and the systems that we can. And and I think that was the one thing we just brought on a um, a new for office practice this week. And the office manager, I mean, she is thrilled, but she did say it. She had to take some leap of trust. Yeah. And they had to trust that this was going to be the right thing for their practice. And there is. And it goes back to what we were just talking about, that trust factor. They have to trust. But but the more she got to know us and the programs and all that, she realized, yeah, she's going to be joining a network that we're going to sit in a room. We're going to help her any way we can and yeah. support her. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I think that's um, – I think that is, is one of the things that um, always kind of baffles me is that I, but I get it. I mean, it baffles me, but I also understand as if I was an outsider, right, looking in, I, I would be able to say like, oh, well, look at my practice. It's really good. I get to do all these other things and X, Y, and Z. And um, and then one, I don't want to disrupt what we're already doing because it's, it's it successful. Works. Yeah. And two, um, I, I'm not I'm not sure, like you're saying, like I'm not sure if I if I can, you know, if I if I believe that it's going to be as good as it as it could be, and then um, and then the other thing that that happens is that there's this this thing that occurs in some people where you have um, you know discounts immediately, then you have rebates, and then you bump that up against what you're paying. It's very easy to see your royalty rate, right? Because mm -hmm. you see that check every every month. It's kind of harder for me to see the cost, or like the, this cost savings, because I have to do a little bit more homework. So, what are the tools that um, Vision Source has developed? What are, how do you go in and help doctors see that you know the differences in cost versus the royalty? Like, what's that process like? So there's, I mean, we certainly all of us sit down and we'll, we'll do a cost analysis. So we'll look at the vendors they're currently using. Um, we look at their labs. We look at the products they're using. Um, and we'll, we'll run, you know, what it would, we run the numbers. Right. Um, and time after time, I mean, certainly we always say, um, you know, we don't, 
members join us because they think they're saving on costs, but yeah. they'll always tell you, I join for, you know, the savings, I stay for the networking. Yeah. And it's very common that you, you'll hear that true. over and yeah, over and over. Um, but there is, when we run the numbers, um, you know, I think our vendor team has done a really good job. It's still, and, it, and, it, and it's harder and harder to, with the other buying groups right. that have negotiated their specials and stuff, we still have the, yeah, top discount savings in the market. I yep. mean, we do it with every vendor. I mean, you go through the list and there's still a differential by being part of our network. Yeah. So, yeah. So then, um, so then when you look at, uh, when you look at, at those numbers, what are, you know, they're the one thing I think about, like from a cost saving standpoint, I, I think probably it's the case that no matter what thing you use, whether it's contact lenses or glasses, if you have a really wide variety of things that you're using, I mean, that's not to say that you wouldn't want to use specific things for specific patients in specific situations. But if you if you have like uh, Sarah Optician over here that's doing this and Dana Optician over here that's doing that and Laura is doing something totally different, which actually is is way more common oh than, yes than yes. we think it is yes then whether you're with vision source or outside of vision source that seems to me to be uh probably the most disastrous thing that could happen from a profitability standpoint in your practice and if you're using really good products if you have access to really good products then there probably is a solution that's going to work let's say 80 percent of the time for most of the patients most of the time but then you let Dana, Laura, and Sari, Sarah um, kind of have some additional flexibility for those 20% of the time. And, um, and so I think I've heard people, uh, we've actually had a meeting with somebody that told us that they, they didn't feel like it was right to tell the opticians what, what their standard lenses would be and then what their, and what their um, you know, kind of other, other nuanced lenses might be. And I thought that's, I used to probably, I probably used to think that way, honestly. I, I probably used to think that, like, that doesn't really matter. They can use whatever they feel is best. But the reality is, is that most of the time, the reason they feel like it's some, something is best is just because they're used to using that thing, right? Like, they, they're, when I've talked to most of our, um, most opticians about this, it's just like, oh, I like that lens because it's, it's, it's comfortable. Patients adapt to it well or whatever. Or they, we don't, I don't remember having a lot of non-adapts to it. So they get you get kind of focused on what that technology is. And so it's not that like most of the time that the opticians are using, like they're very, being very nuanced with like this patient is choosing this frame and has this visual demand. Most of them, they're, they're not doing that unless we're really helping, helping them guide it. And so they're using all these different lenses on purpose. It's just the case that like Sarah might really like her lens that she used and Dana really likes her lens that she used. And that, that, that winds up being, I think, a disaster for the practice uh, for a number of reasons. I agree. And I also think, um, you know, as the doctor, you're the driver. You're the complete driver. So um, that's the other part that I like about the training programs that we have. It's, it's also helping the doctor knowing how to, you know, prescribe from the chair, right? right? So it's the doctor recommended this. I mean, it's, it's that white coat power. And, yeah. I, and I hate using the word power, but it is. Let's get real. I mean, I go to the doctor. I trust the doctor. And what the doctor recommends is, okay, there's yeah. a reason, right? Um, you're the specialist, right. you know, so 
it, it's no different when the doctor is able to do that and then just set the tone for the office. I mean, it follow everybody follows. Yep. Yep. So, yeah. So then, um, so I think that's that's really helpful when you think about like some of the success stories that that you've seen happen. So it might be kind of challenging because you get to see, like, um, you know, you get to help everybody on board, and and then they're 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 drinking the Kool Aid, yeah, and then then they transition over to Abby or yeah. or somebody else who's a practice performance director who helps them actually implement some of those programs. But have you been able to see a little bit of, of where where those kind of light switches go off yeah. and, and it's really helpful? Tell me about some of that. So so one of my favorite onboarding stories was um, I had talked to the doctor and we I'd asked permission, okay, during this, if you want me to cover optical dream, I'll cover it. Um, are you are you in favor of you know participating? He's like, yeah, let's let's participate. So um, went there and he's like, we can participate all you want, Trace, but I'm going to give you a heads up. You know, Susie the optician has been she's seasoned opticians. She's been doing this for 20 years. It's she's going to be a hard sell. The others, yeah, you'll probably you'll probably get their buy-in, but it's going to be hard on her. And it was so funny because the minute I brought it up. It was like spark of new energy in the huh. office. And she started pulling invoices and saying, Doc, I got to see what, what we would have had last week and where we would have been and how many spins we would have gotten. Um, and it was just exciting to see that. And he just sat back with the biggest smile mm. on his face like, okay, I got my confirmation that, you know what, there are things that that he wasn't even, you know, it's it's not it's not the big stuff. Yeah, he was doing yep. a great job yep. before, but he didn't realize that, you know what, just the small breath of fresh air it just lit a new fire yeah. you know rejuvenated yeah. the office again yeah so, I think yeah it was fun it was fun to watch yeah, yeah. that's cool I, so I think that's that's the other thing is that um, one of the things I love about you know just hanging out with with people in vision source who are um, who are constantly kind of moving forward and outside of vision source too is that and I've mentioned this on the podcast before where I think there's these ideas that people are just always trying to make you know, better. How do I, yeah. how do I do this better? And yeah. how do we make this process better? And, um, and the, the cool part is that, um, when you are surrounded by people that are like that, then that breath of fresh air that you're talking about with a clear program to back it up yep. is it makes those changes that you'd want to implement in your practice as the doctor, it makes them easy for the staff to accept. So as opposed to feeling like, oh, there is this new piece of equipment and it is going to yeah. take us longer to do. It's like, no, we've got this new piece of equipment and because of all those relationships and all that experience that we have, we can know that when we're going to bring it in, it's going to be successful because it's an easy easy, um, easy thing to do. Proactive versus reactive. And yeah. it's, it is eye-opening when you sit with the doctors and, and you talk about it and you'll, you'll ask them, like, what steps are they doing in their office? And, and there's questions that they haven't thought about when do you do me oh i didn't realize i i don't do you know weekly meetings with my staff oh everybody's doing weekly meetings yeah. i mean it's there's a lot of things that kind of puts them into play or oh wow i didn't think about what's the effect of all these um you know big mergers in the medical field yeah. and like all of this stuff how does it really going to affect me and when you start talking the private equity and you start talking the what ifs yeah um you know we're behind the scenes doing a lot of that work having those conversations protecting our doctors ahead of it we're ahead of the curve. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of proactive stuff. Yeah. So there was a few weeks ago, I had a conversation with Brad Briego, who you I'm yeah. sure know really well. And I mean, he's a sharp dude. Yeah. And he made yeah. a comment on the end, the very end of the podcast. He said, 
Well, uh, well, I love to talk. I said, thanks for being on. He goes, oh, I never pass up an opportunity to talk. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, I, I like Brad a lot. Yeah. I, don't, I, I, uh, I haven't, you know, I've, I know I've known him for a few years now. And, and the more I talk to him, the more I like him. But he's a no-nonsense business yeah. guy. Yeah. And, um, and it, it was just, uh, it was just like really interesting to talk about like the EBITDA in a way that, that actually made a lot of sense to me. I've, I've heard that term for a while, but I think a lot of docs still, they haven't, they haven't heard about it much. And so, um, so where we're seeing private equity coming in, coming in and talking about that, that is actually like the conversation that Brad and I were able to have winds up being a culmination of years of, of input and monitoring from people who have been through it from a, you know, from a vision source standpoint who are now with vision source that have been with private equity before and who understand how those, how they think and, and how they work. And, um, I was, I don't think I mentioned this on the podcast to Brad, but I was in a meeting, um, with a guy that had, um, that had, he was with another company now in the ophthalmic industry, but he, he made the comment that he used to work for, um, or work with, who just bought um, my eye doctor? My eye doctor, uh, big uh, Goldman Sachs. Yeah. So he used to be a Goldman Sachs guy, and um, and he said, "Well, I can tell you exactly what's going to happen." He said, "They're going to buy the, they're going to buy uh, my eye doctor," and then he said, "What they're probably going to do is they're going to sit on it for a few years. They're going to acquire more practices. They're going to, it's going to become a large chain like a like a, um, you know, Vision Works or something like that. And then um, and then what they'll do is they'll become public." So they'll sell it publicly because they still have to earn back their money. And, um, and so, again, if you hadn't heard that podcast, I thought what was interesting is like $6 million per practice. That, that was like an EBITDA of like 17 times <laughs> and, or it was 17 times EBITDA is what they were paying with what Goldman Sachs paid my eye doctor, the, the private equity group that, that then sent, offloaded to Goldman Sachs. Well, what Goldman Sachs will probably do then is that they will, um, they will go public. So they'll bring it as a public company. It'll have a public offering. It'll come out at let's say ten bucks a share, and then Goldman Sachs earns their money back. So Goldman Sachs pay, takes it public. Now they're going to earn you know uh, two or three fold their their initial input of whatever half a billion dollars or whatever they bought it for, and um, and then uh, then what happens is it's offloaded. It's a public company, but very quickly it's it's not really worth that. like. The reality is it's not worth what they paid for even in the first place, but it becomes really, really inflated. And he, what his prediction was is then it gets to the public and then pretty much that's dispersed over thousands of people that have portfolios that contain that stock. And then pretty soon, because it wasn't originally worth that much, it, it's, not gonna, it's not really worth that much. So it comes out, it's got this big opening, and then everybody makes their money who are in on the, on the Goldman Sachs side. But then it, it plummets, you know, within a year, it's $2 a share, or in, in a, year, a couple of years, it's a dollar a share. And nobody really hurts too much because it wasn't a huge part of their portfolio. The guys who, who re rolled it up, they profited all along the way, but it will probably be the last private equity big sell that you see because they'll be the first people to do it. And then once that happens and things plummet, then, then they're sitting here with with a, a completely devalued um, you know thing, and nobody wants to be in on that. And so that was his prediction uh, is, is from being a, a Goldman Sachs guy is what his words were. And so um, so that that was really interesting is that that's the play is like it's you're going to escalate the profits all the way up yep. on on something that's probably not real profits, right? Like like it doesn't make sense to pay. Um, 17 basically you're saying i'm going to pay you 17 years of earnings at this rate <laughs> yeah um 
for for what? That's that's essentially what they did. So it's going to take them at, at a normal thing. Even if you talk about growth, right? That's probably going to take them twelve years, ten to twelve years to recoup that seventeen years because they're paying seventeen years in today's dollars versus the growth that could potentially happen. But um, most of those people are not in the game for long-term investments, right? And they're certainly not in the game for long-term investments by overpaying, right? right. You don't overpay for a long-term investment typically, yeah. right? You're, you're, you're paying for that next off-roll. And so it's really interesting. I, I, um, I mean, I, I've been able to have kind of those fascinating conversations and it's because, um, because of the people that, that I've met with Envision Source that understand the way that yeah. works. And it's years and years. And, and again, it's not just the people in Vision Source. It's because people in Vision Source are talking to other people in the industry that yeah. have a sense of the bigger picture of what's going to happen. Now, whether or not that, that turns out to happen or it's a good thing for the profession or, or whatever, I, I tend to have my, my thoughts about that. But, um, but knowing makes it so that I'm not really fearful of it correct right correct and and i think that's the real thing about um you know the last couple of weeks we've talked about a little bit about um social media and and kind of some of the fear that people have that's really evident within social media uh it's why i think my i mean the future is bright within the profession right? yeah there's a lot of things we can do because and 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 that's because i feel like i understand some of those things maybe i don't understand it well um, or as well as I, I'd like to, but I understand the kind of the conversations that are going on and the things that happen. So I don't have to wonder like, well, what's going to happen? Like these are guys right. that have been through that. And so, um, so yeah, I think it, it's kind of comes back to all of those things that, um, that, that are beneficial. And then how much do you want to pay attention to it? Yeah. Right. Like yeah. how much is the doctor? Like I might just go along to get along and vision sources is, is saving me money and I'm fine with that. Do you feel like there's something different about the docs that are that are like, I just want to save money, that's it? Or everybody comes in, they think I'm going to save money, and then that's what they do, but then they also like grow. Like, what's the sense? I think once, initially you've got docs that do that, but I think once you're surrounded mm-hmm. and you're actually engaged, um, you're going you're gonna to get whatever you put into it, you're going to get back tenfold, and yep. you truly do. Um, and it's it's something that the more active you are, the more you will. I mean, more fruitful it's going to be for you. Yeah. 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 Great. Yeah. yeah. So, well, um, thanks for being yeah. on the show. Thank you. I really appreciate your time today. Okay. And um, and uh, we'll talk soon. Yeah. Great. Thanks.